All right, so we are wrapping up our people series today. We've been in this series the last couple of weeks talking about people, talking about bringing heaven's ways to earth in the context of our relationships. And if this is one of your first time here, you might want to catch the previous episodes, or episodes, sorry, podcast language coming out. You want to catch the previous messages on our podcast, which you can get at BethelOKC.com. You can get it on Apple and Podbean and all those things. Um, But today, I want to do a little bit of a recap so we can bring this series home. You guys ready? I know you are. So when we kicked this off, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how we all have basic needs. And when we get our basic needs of food, water, shelter, safety met, then we begin to have a need to want to belong. And when our need for belonging is met, then we begin to want to fulfill our purpose. And so it's really important that we pay attention to whether or not we have a good support system in our life. Because if we do, then the need to fulfill your purpose sort of is a byproduct of that. And then we talked about the culture of honor. And we talked about John Ortberg's book. I've said this to you guys so many times now. I'd like you better if you were more like me. We talked about how our natural inclination in relationships is to look for the me in you. How much of us are the same. But what God does is he looks for the Jesus in you. You guys remembering all of this? And then last week we talked about that dirty word, sin. And we talked about kingdom confrontation. And how do we deal with the failings in life? How do we deal with each other when we don't measure up? Because that's going to happen because there's nobody that's perfect. And so we talked all about that and what does sin look like in the new covenant. Listen, if you miss any of those, make sure you catch them because they're going to set the groundwork for what we're talking about today. But today is all about family. And we are going to talk about boundaries, which everybody loves to talk about. And uh, praise the Lord, yes. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what does it look like to have the culture of heaven in your home? Now, I know some of us have kids in the home. Some of us are in the grandparent season of life. I believe there's application for you regardless of where you are in your journey. Even if you don't have kids, if you live by yourself, there's something in this for you. It's my personal conviction, and I shared this with you guys the last two weeks, that God has created a system in heaven, and it's our job to pattern our life here off of that. Amen? And so when we talk about family, this is one of the most important places that we make sure we're in line with who God is in the context of our relationships in the home. Amen? So I read this book a few years ago. It's called uh, The Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family. Has anybody ever heard of this book? Patrick Lencioni? Nobody? Great. So I'll get to introduce you to it. It's an older book, and it's designed for families like mine who are always on the go. They've got so much going on. And when you're not paying attention, a lot of time can go by, and and we're just, we never accomplish anything because we're frantic. Does that make sense? In this book, he talks about the importance of your family having an identity, that your family unit has a uniqueness in the same way that you as a person have one. It's a really interesting concept. But if we think about it, when God thinks about us, when we read the Bible, we see scriptures like every tribe and tongue is going to be there worshiping him. So when the kingdom of heaven comes, it's not to say there's only one ethnicity that's the right way. There's only one bent, one economic status that gets to inherit the kingdom. Everybody gets to be there. And I believe God wants the diversity that comes with that. And even in the context of our family unit in your home. He likes that some families like Taco Tuesday and some families have curry. There's no week that starts with C. Curry Wednesday. And you know, in all the differences that we have, that's a good thing. So when we pay attention to the uniqueness of our family, then we get to experience God on a greater level. Let me make this super practical. 
For some families with kids in the home, there are some families who revolve around sports, right? So we've got families who, it's, maybe it's football, maybe it's all sports. You've got soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring, you've just, you're always on a ball field. There are some families that that's what they do. This is their like, passion, where they spend their money, their time, their energy. Then you've got other families who maybe are more into theater and things like that. Where it becomes important to understand your dynamic is in this place. If I look, let's say that my family, we're a Disney family, okay? Uh, we don't do sports very much. I'm sure you couldn't tell. Um, it's, it's not, if you've ever seen me exercise, I think I've probably run at a pace uh, maybe three times in the last five years. And, you know, I always love the quote that says, um, some people sense God's pleasure when they run. When I run, I sense the wrath of God. Um, and so, so there are some families that, like mine, who, like Disney is our hobby. We love going on Disney trips. That's where we put our energy and our money and our time. That's where we save it to. And so if I'm this kind of a family and I'm looking at a sports family and I'm saying it seems like good families have their kids in soccer, then I can begin to start saying, I don't know what to do. I wanna be a good family. It's a little bit like keeping up with the Joneses, right? I wanna be a good family, so maybe I need to do that. And before long, we've adopted all these different things. Or the family that spends all their time on the football field looks and says, well, it looks like a good family takes a Disney trip, but all of your football gear is really expensive, so we gotta somehow figure out how to do this so we can be a good family. You guys tracking with me? When we just debunk all of that and we be true to who we are, then we get to experience something of God because we are in our authentic self. In our place of authenticity is the place we encounter God the most because it's the path of least resistance. It's the path of least resistance. And so I think it's really important for us to pay attention to what makes your family unique. So if, you're not, if you don't have kids yet, you can think about what makes me unique. <laughs> or you can think about your extended family. What is, how do you answer this question for them? If you have kids in the home, it's obvious. If you're in the grandparent phase, what makes our family unique in this season of life? So here's our connection question. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks. We're gonna put two minutes on the clock. I encourage you to turn to somebody next to you and we're gonna answer these two questions. They're here on the screen. The first one, maybe we have them up here. Okay, I'll tell you what they are and then maybe they'll come up. Um, the first one is, do you have an idea of the uniqueness of your family? Just a yes or no. Yes, I've got it. I know what makes my family unique. And then the second one is what's one thing? So share one thing that makes your family unique. Does that make sense? So turn to the person next to you. You got two minutes on the clock and answer these two questions. Make sure you introduce yourself if you don't know each other. All right, so do you have your answers in your mind? I think this is so important for us to pay attention to these things. And what I wanna do is I wanna challenge you guys, especially if you still have kids in the home, I wanna challenge you to start thinking through this over the next couple of months. Talk to your spouse about it. What makes us us? Maybe you're a gaming family. Maybe that's how you are, right? You get together, you play video games together. That's something our family really enjoys to do. The goal of this is not to say there's one right way, but it's to say, hey, this is a way that God uses to connect us. Here's another great example for this. Again, uh, if you're being your authentic self, that's the place you're gonna encounter God the most. And so when we come around the presence of God, it expresses in different ways for our family units as well. 
For some families, we're very creative, like Reese and his family, okay? So you got to see some of their creativity this morning. Reese and Sabrina are brother and sister, if you don't know that. They're prophetically speaking into our message about family today by uh, pursuing the Lord this morning in dance and, and flags. And so their family, if you've ever heard their stories, they're very creative people. And when they come together, it's like an explosion of creativity uh, everywhere. It's amazing. And that's a beautiful thing. But for other families, if you gather around like throwing the ball outside, you can experience the presence of God in that place. That's because you own that about yourself. Does that make sense? For some families, encountering the Lord looks like we all come together with an instrument, we worship together. For some, it looks like we all come together and sit in the same room and read at the same time. If we're being authentic to who we are, then we let go of that feeling like we don't measure up, like we're doing something wrong. Because it doesn't matter what you do to connect with the Lord. It just matters that you do something. Amen? It doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters that you put Jesus as the priority in your home. So that's my challenge for you guys to think about that. All right. So what happens when we don't have a family that's operating in the culture of heaven? What does it look like? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're talking about how to get your family to a better place with the Lord. But I want to cast a little bit of vision for you. I've written down about six different things that families that are pursuing God do. They're very general, okay? So if you're taking notes, these are great things to write down. This is what um, the culture of heaven is what we're going to call it. This is what it looks like in the context of family. The first one is this. Families pursuing Jesus believe the best about each other. Yes. You believe the best about each other. That means when you hear something about a family member that you believe the best until you get it sorted out. Families that are pursuing Jesus in this way, we focus on what God is doing in your life. This is tricky because a lot of us want to focus on what I think God should be doing in your life. Right? Oh, Lord, wouldn't it be great if you could deal with this in them? That would really bless me. But that's not always how it works. God has an agenda for every person in your family. He's actually right now working on something in them. And so what we do when we're emulating the culture of heaven is we just focus on that. God, what are you actually doing? Let me set aside my desires. Why? Because, well, when Jesus taught us to pray, he told us to pray, our will be done. No. (laughs) He taught us to pray God's will. We set our own opinion aside. So believe the best about each other. Focus on God, what God is doing in your life. The third thing is this. Consistently reject false expectations. This is a big one. And I say consistently because if you've tried to do this once or twice, they have a real canny way of creeping back in. What's a false expectation? The best way I can explain this is my life. When my mother was pregnant with me, she had a dream that she had this little girl who was wearing this really frilly dress. This was in the early 80s. And uh, like, what are those socks called with the part that folds down with the lace around them? And patent leather shoes, okay? She had a, a literal dream one night that this was her daughter. And this was in the early 80s, so she didn't know if I was a boy or a girl. And when I was born, it was her dream coming to life, right? I'm going to dress you like a baby doll. And she said, I will never forget when you were two years old, I went to put this dress on you and you looked at me and said, skirts are dumb. (laughs) And she said, my heart broke a little bit in that moment. And what she discovered was her expectation of how I was going to be as a person was not really in line with who God made me to be. And so you have a choice to make as a parent. Do I continue to make you into the image that I created for you? Or do I let you become who God has made you to be? Patent leather shoes, doily socks, and all. I think my mom still struggles with what I wear sometimes, and that's okay. 
But we have to consistently reject our false expectations. So much of wounding that we experience is when there's this invisible standard we're being measured against in the home. Here's another great example. When we're in a church setting, especially a small church, it becomes really obvious how your kids are doing with the Lord, right? Because we can see, we know what's going on. Everybody's like, all you parents are looking at me like, oh yeah. Here's what we have to do. We have to make the decision to say, listen, God is working in your life. You might not be the most exuberant worshiper. You might not want to worship at all. You might find your enticement with the Lord in something completely different. And so I'm giving you permission to be on the journey that God is crafting for you. But how do you do that? Consistently reject the false expectations. When that Facebook ad comes from that kid who's like, you know, a saint, a mini saint, a holy person, and you're going, oh, how do I get my kid to be that? I guess I make them, right? No, we just reject that. I mean, if it's good and it's God, take it. But we reject the false expectations. All right, number four. We don't use you, we serve you. Now, let's be real honest moment for a second. I don't live to serve. I'm not one of those kinds of people. There are people who live to serve, and I'm like, pray for me. I will receive that. Yeah, Becky's one of those people. I'll receive that impartation. They get so much joy from serving others. That's not me. But I remind myself all of the time, Jesus came to serve. The Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And so there's a place where I get to step into the likeness of Jesus by letting go of what I think, right? So in the context of our family, even if it's siblings, if it's parent relationships, we have to remind ourselves, you don't exist for my purposes. You don't exist for what I can get from you. You exist to the glory of God. So how can I treat you in that regard? I know these are intense Uh, Number five, family that's pursuing a culture of heaven does this, conflicts and repents well. We talked about that extensively last week. But if we're going to pursue the atmosphere of heaven, the culture of heaven in our home, we got to get good at conflict, healthy conflict, and we have to get good at repenting because it takes some transformation. In other words, what we're doing is creating a home where your heart is safe here where it's a safe place to say, hey, this was difficult for me. We can talk this out in a really healthy manner. And the last thing is this, total support of your faith journey. Total support of your faith journey. For a lot of people, as we begin to pursue the Lord, your family's the first ones going, what are you doing? What does that speak to? Sometimes, not always, sometimes it speaks to our false expectations. Well, listen, I want you to go for Jesus, but I think it's supposed to look like this. So when we're operating in the culture of heaven in the home and with our extended family as well, then we are supporting you in what God is telling you to do. Because if God's calling you to it, there's provision for me as well. Does that make sense? If it's causing, like, you're going to go this direction and I'm going over here, there's provision for us to stay connected. There's a grace that comes with that. All right. So these are the goals. This is the goal. But what do we do when this doesn't happen? This is not the family that you're in. Well, this is where boundaries come into play. So I want to borrow for you guys a Henry Cloud. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dr. Henry Cloud. He's phenomenal. He wrote a book called Boundaries and a bunch of other books related to the topic. You can find him on Facebook, and he puts out tons of free resources on there as well. But I'm going to borrow his definition of boundaries for our purposes, and I want to draw for you a diagram that he uses because I think this is helpful. This, I just shared with you what's the goal of what we're going for. Now we're going to talk about how do we get there if that's not where we are. Does that make sense? So how many of you guys are familiar with the idea of boundaries, just out of curiosity? Okay, good. So hopefully this will be pretty um, something you've heard before, okay? So I'm drawing here two squares, if you can't see. 
And what we're talking about with boundaries, the working definition is um, your property line. Simple, right? So if this first square is my home, this is my property line, and then we have neighbors. Now this works obviously with a home, but it also works with ourselves. So my person is a property line, and your person is a property line, and then we live next to each other, right? So when we're talking about boundaries, boundaries define three things. The first one is this, who owns it? Who owns it? The second one is who controls it? And the third one is who is responsible? They're very similar working definitions, but when we're defining a boundary, this is the question we're asking. Well, who owns it? So is it my house? Well, that's obvious. I own it. I control it. I'm responsible for what happens with it. You guys tracking with that? Boundaries come into play when we rub up next to someone who doesn't take ownership of their own life. Okay? So they're not owning their life. They're not taking control of their actions. They're not um, taking responsibility. So if we're talking about a, a property line like a house. Let's look at it like this. Your neighbor has a tree that grows over your fence line. And you, like in my home, we, I think we have three trees right now growing through our fences from our neighbors. Like the plants can't get away from me. It's amazing. Um, I'm kidding. If you've been here any length of time, you know I have entirely black thumbs. Um, but when, when you have a tree that grows over your fence line, we don't have trees in our yard that make leaves. We just have the pine type trees. I don't even know what they're called. Praise the Lord. But for, if you know what they're called, when the leaves fall, now if your tree has grown over my line and your leaves have fallen in my yard, whose responsibility is that? Well, now it's mine because you're in my space. But that's not my tree. I didn't ask that tree, right? In general, your neighbor should be trimming their tree to make sure it stays in their property line. You guys tracking with me on this? Okay, so this is where boundaries come in. Boundaries come in where we define, hey, wait a second. I don't want your leaves in my yard. I don't want your presence in my yard if it's overly negative, if it's disruptive, if it's abusive. So what types of things overgrow our boundary line? Here's a couple of just easy examples. The first one is stuff like rage. Have you ever known somebody or had a family member that just can't help but say really terrible things to you all the time? or maybe they talk about your family in a really negative light, this would be a great example of their tree growing over into your yard. Did you ask for that? No. Did you want that? No. But now you're responsible for their emotional reaction. It's getting heavy. Let's keep it. Try not to be anyway. The second thing, a great example is like tardiness. So you got somebody in your life and you're always trying to make plans and they're habitually late and it affects the plans you're trying to make. This is an example of a thing you can draw a boundary for. Another one, or especially if you're in a working relationship with someone, um, another one would be something like, you know, they're not paying their bills on time or they're not owning up to their financial share. So these are just some of the examples. There's so many that happen where trees begin to grow over onto our yard. So if you've got a family member who consistently isn't paying their bills, then they're coming to you and telling you that you're responsible to take care of it. But is that your yard? No. Now, here's the good thing you get to define your personal boundaries. So if you want to continue to take care of that problem, you are blessed to do that. But if you don't want to, you're also empowered not to do that. I think this is really, really important. When we set boundaries, here's what we're doing. We're setting limits. We're saying no, simple as that. We are confronting the problem in love, and we're exercising our self-control. That's essentially what a boundary is. So when we talk about the boundary, again, 
we're deciding, I don't want that over here, but this is my gate to my heart. So we actually get to define who we want to come into our life and, and who we don't. So here's another example of that. If I'm connecting with you and we're talking and I can see, oh, you're a safe person, then I can open up this gate and let you in. Boundaries are not walls that we just reject all people. Does this make sense? So it's a really fine line in there. All right, here's a couple of scriptures that relate to boundaries. I don't have them on the screen, but the first one is Psalm 16, verse 6. So if this is resonating with you, I encourage you to grab these. This verse says that the boundary lines have been drawn for me in good places. For in good places. Sometimes it's hard to set a boundary because typically the people we set boundaries with are people who aren't catching the unspoken things and it can be a difficult thing. But the boundary lines are drawn in good places. So I encourage you, if you feel like you need to set a boundary with someone in your life, do it, but consult the Lord about how you're doing it. Because the goal is to redefine our relationship to bring it into a healthy place. The goal is not to keep you out forever. Okay? Another scripture that's a great one is Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. God has given you permission to guard your heart because out of it flows the wellspring of life. We've been talking about this every week, but Luke chapter 6 talks about what you put in your heart is the fruit you're going to bear. So if I'm always letting people come in and ravage my heart and dump all this negativity in it, what's the fruit I'm going to bear? Am I going to be a victim to that my whole life? The answer is no, but here's another good one. Um, Jesus set boundaries. He set boundaries. Actually, there's a bunch of scriptures where if you're looking at it from a boundary perspective, you can see when he goes away to pray, he's setting boundaries. When he gets to the point where he knows he doesn't have much left to give in ministry settings, he will retreat from the crowds. You'll see him doing that. But he sets a boundary with his family. And this is a really interesting verse. This is in Matthew chapter 12, verses 47 through 50. And so Jesus is dropping some amazing wisdom and revelation. He's talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about casting out demons, what the demons do afterwards. I mean, he's like in the flow, okay? And then the next verse says, and his mother and brother are outside. Like somebody tell Jesus we need to talk to him. And so what does Jesus say? He goes, who is my mother and brother? And he gestures with his hand and he says, all of you are my mother and brother. Is he trying to be offensive to his mom? Of course not. If you read the scripture, he's very close with his mother. He cares for her deeply. What he was saying was, there's a boundary here of my priorities, and I'm about my father's business first and foremost. And so in this moment, when I'm being obedient to God, all of you have access to me just like my mother and brother do. He used that as a teaching point. Now, if you're his mother, I can't imagine that felt very good. Just honestly, as a mom, I can't imagine how that would feel that you're going, we don't know what she needed to talk to him about. I mean, maybe she was trying to say, are you bringing the boys over tonight? Because I need to go to the market if you are. You know, tell me now, Jesus, because I don't want to come back, right? Maybe that was what she meant. Or maybe she had something really important to say, life-altering. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus was drawing a boundary. Hey, mom, listen, this is how I'm going to be in my life. But we know she respected that because they continued to have a good relationship. And he actually took care of her in his dying moments, right? So he sets that boundary. He does this, actually, I think the first time probably, although this is the first documented time that he did this with his mom and dad was in Luke chapter 2, verses 40, verse 49. And you guys know this story. It's when Jesus was lost, okay? They all went to the temple. They're having this great moment with the Lord. And then they had a big family. Anybody from a really big family? Have you ever driven somewhere? You don't always know whose car everybody got in. Sometimes you're kind of just hoping all the kids made it into a car. I think that's what... 
Have you been left behind? Okay, all right. Well, ministry time later for you uh, if that's needed. But when you're in a big family, that can happen sometimes, right? We have a high priest who can connect with everything you've been through. Um, And so that's what happens. Jesus gets left. He doesn't get left. He left himself. He purposely didn't get in the car. It wasn't like he didn't make it and then, you know, I just found myself in the synagogue because I had nothing better to do. No, that's what he was doing. He went to the temple for that purpose. And when he says to his mom and dad, don't you know I'm going to be about my father's business? What's he doing? He's defining his identity. Listen, I love you. I'll go to every Christmas that I can unless my father is telling me something else. It's really hard because when we're not clear about our expectations, then everything gets muddled and then it feels overly personal when someone's trying to follow the Lord. I just really want to encourage you, make space in your family for people to follow the Lord, even if it looks like there's a a going away for a time. I have lived this personally. It is incredibly difficult emotionally, but what I've found is when I focus on God drawing the boundary lines in pleasant places, he has brought those relationships to where they need to be every single time. The difference is because I'm not saying I want you out because you hurt me. That's a wall. The difference is saying we have to honor what God has called us to do. And until you're able to take responsibility for your life, this is what I need in my life. Another great verse, Luke chapter 6. This is actually right before what we've been talking about with the tree and the good fruit. Jesus makes the statement to make sure that you pull the plank out of your own eye before you go get your brother's speck. I don't know about your home. In my home, we are hot-blooded people. We, uh, you know, we hold nothing back. Well, we held nothing back. We are being redeemed in the name of Jesus. Um, but when I was growing up, man, we were, the, we were a strong Jewish family. We were the kind of family that was like, I have a problem with you, and boom, there is the truth, and I might have just killed you with my words, but you'll get over it. That was the culture of our home. And, um, and, and so when my family, as we became adults, when we became to in, began to interact with each other, this was still the dynamic that we brought. And so I married someone whose family never really raised their voice, and my brother did the same. So now we have these two extra people in the home who don't want anything to do with this step up to the ring, we got this moment. And it took a lot of finagling to have conversations about what boundaries needed to be there. But the more that we respected and empowered each other's personal space, and I don't mean personal space like, we're not talking about walls. I'm talking about this is the part of your journey with Jesus that you're on, the better those relationships came. And we've all grown into something really beautiful. So it's possible, it's good, but it requires us making sure we're not looking for the specks in everybody while we've got this giant stick coming out of our face. That's where humility comes into play. All right, a couple of examples of healthy boundaries. I know this is kind of a weird topic, but I think it's important, especially coming into the holidays. A couple of examples of healthy boundaries. Here's one. It's basically saying, here's what I'm going to do. So when we're drawing a boundary, we actually don't have permission to come in and say, "Um, you can't have a tree, because that would be control, right? We, We only have the ability to take responsibility for what we can control, which is ourselves. It's the only kind of control that's legal in the kingdom. So what we do is we come into it and we say, this is what I need to do or what I'm going to do, and I'm hoping that you respect that and we can make an adjustment, but if you don't, here's what's going to happen. So in the context of marriage, okay, Sometimes we have to set boundaries about the types of things we're going to talk about so that we give ourselves space to walk in the spirit. 
Last week we talked so much about what this looks like to reject the flesh, to not walk in that and to take on our new covenant identity. And so in the context of our home relationships, this is one of the hardest places because it takes practice. It takes effort to pay attention to how the Holy Spirit is leading you. And so we need to make sure our family is all on the same page with that. With my kids, this is just one example, I have tried very hard to make sure they understand if I'm having a bad day, it has nothing to do with you. It's me and my process. I'm trying to sort myself out. So if I have a moment where I'm too, uh, my, too quick-tempered with them, they know they have permission to come and say, Mom, you, that was not okay. You crossed a line. And I will, sometimes I've had to say to my kids, especially some, some children um, that have different personalities, you know, one of my kids right now is really going on that parable of the persistent widow. Um, they're getting that down like big time. So I've had to sit down and say, listen, when you keep coming at me with the same question over and over again, it's like I, I, I feel like I can't control it and I want to and I'm trying to walk in self-control. So when I say, please stop, I'm asking you to respect that. Otherwise, I might need to leave the room so I can simmer down. That's an example of a boundary. Basically, I'm defining, here's what I'm going to do. I don't want to step out of turn. I don't want to say something I don't mean. You guys tracking with that? So here's what I'm going to do. That's one of the boundaries. Okay, here's a good healthy boundary. Who you follow on Facebook. Did you know you're not obligated to follow every person that you're friends with on Facebook? There's this really cool feature where you can click the little three dots by their name and click unfollow. And so if you've got family members that are always posting things that just keep it really hard for you to believe the best about them, unfollow. It's a great tip. Healthy boundary. Here's another one. Um, this is a good boundary to set, especially if you struggle with like anger management kind of stuff. When I feel angry, here's what I'm going to do. When we have this conversation, I need to have the freedom to pause to pray. Otherwise, I might need to leave the room. That's what I mean when we're talking about setting good boundaries. Um, another one would be, I'm not going to listen to you talk down to me or berate my family. That's not something I'm here for. So if that happens, here's what I'm going to do. Um, and, and again, when we're talking about boundaries, most of the time they need to be communicated to the person. We've had situations where we've had to set boundaries where we have to say, listen, please don't email me again. Because for some reason when you're emailing, it's like you don't think I'm reading it. <laughs> so you say these terrible things. So let's just talk, let's not email. You have to take care of what's in you, okay? All right. I want to talk one more um, analogy, and you guys know I've talked a lot about counseling in the last couple of weeks, and this is another thing that came from a counselor. I love counseling. I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, and a friend of mine was in a session with a counselor, and they were talking about the family dynamic. So this is, um, I'm not trying to push your buttons by any means, okay? But I do know that some of us have families where we need to have this information. This is a diagram that looks like a bullseye. And this counselor was describing it like this. The, the smallest circle is you and your spouse. It's the most intimate relationship you have. There's no holds barred there. That's the place where you're, I'm totally free. The next circle is your immediate family. By definition, this would apply to your children and your parents, okay? So you can see they radiate out. The next one would be extended family, and then it would be uh, acquaintance, friends, and then acquaintances, and then strangers. So if we're thinking about the relationships that we have, there are sort of, for lack of a better word, levels of proximity. There's certain things you share with inner circle people that you wouldn't necessarily share with a stranger. We all get this uh, analogy. So the counselor put it like this. Now, for most of us, our most 
sacred moments would maybe be your anniversary meal, would maybe be, like, maybe for some it's your birthday, for others your birthday is the all strangers, acquaintances, everybody come. So it kind of depends on your personality. But you think about maybe Christmas morning, where your whole family's in their pajamas, no one's hair is done, it's just a very free experience. I mean, now that Instagram is a thing, I think people put a little bit more effort into what they look like before they go open the presents. But um, you think about the Christmas morning. So it's rare when someone takes in a stranger out here and invites them into this type of an experience. It's a good thing, it can be done, but it's not something we're obligated to do. Does that make sense? So that's how we all operate. Where it gets tricky is when we have a family member who by title belongs in a circle closer than our relationship requires or experiences. Everybody tracking with this? So you've got a family member whose name, you know, like their title, how they relate to you, actually puts them in a closer sphere, but your workings with them, your relationship with them, is not something that you want to share your inner circle with. Okay? I hope none of you have relationships like this in your life, but I know that some of us do. And so where you have to understand is that you are empowered to look at the relationship as opposed to the title. Now, here's where boundaries are a great thing. I'm not saying we just reject everybody and we just assume no one's going to change. But the truth of the matter is, people who take advantage of you or don't own their own life usually don't change without consequences. So the boundary becomes a provocative thing to require them to step up a little bit. Okay? So I think this is a really helpful thing for us. I want to say one more thing before I get into some practical steps that we can do. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation, they're not the same thing. I was talking to somebody recently, and she was sharing with me about how someone said to them, they have a really difficult relationship in their life. This person has been very um, hurtful, very, very hurtful to them. So they are estranged. And this person said, well, if you've forgiven them, then you wouldn't be estranged. And she said, I guess I haven't forgiven them. And we began to have a long conversation about what's the state of your heart towards this person. And eventually what um, what I ended up sharing with her is, listen, forgiveness is something between you and the Lord. It's about your heart. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about embracing what Jesus has done for you and extending that to other people. Reconciliation requires both parties to have come to a repentant place. You can't really reconcile with someone who doesn't want to change when they've been hurting you in your life. And I think in the church, we focused so much, not necessarily this church, but as a whole, we focused so much on forgiveness that we've almost made it seem like if you're still estranged from someone, then you haven't forgiven them. But that's not true. And for whatever it's worth, I want all of you guys to know forgiveness and reconciliation are two completely different things. I've seen reconciliation happen. It's one of the most beautiful things. It's when God is working in someone and they come to an awareness, here's what I did that affected you negatively. Until that happens, reconciliation is a pretty difficult thing to force. Amen? So I'm sorry doesn't really equal trust. Changed behavior is what equals trust. My encouragement for all of you, especially if you've got family members that are a little prickly, that you would be able to walk in forgiveness like no one else. But that doesn't mean that your proximity changes. Your heart can be completely clean with them, to be completely, you know, believing the best about them, seeing them how heaven sees them, praying for them with a clean spirit and heart, but also know that we don't work in this way. And I just think for whatever it's worth, somebody needs to hear that be said at church. 
because I'm going for full-on forgiveness, amen? I'm going that we would be the most free people, but that doesn't mean we just open the gates and say, come at me with all of your unchanged toxic behavior. Um, Okay, so let's talk about some very specific things. I've got four practicals you can do to bring your family into more of the culture of heaven. Um, I know that was kind of a heavy part of the conversation, but I think it needs to be said. Here's number one. Pray for them. Ah, Right? It's not rocket science. Pray for your family members. We had a pastor who would tell us this challenge. We did this challenge in our youth ministry years ago where on Thanksgiving Day for an hour, all you would do is write out everything you could be thankful for. Just see if you could make it an hour, just listing things to be thankful for. After like minute 40, you're starting to be thankful for the specific molecules of hydrogen and oxygen and how they go together because you kind of run out of things. But it's such a good challenge to see, am I cultivating thankfulness in my heart? With our family, sometimes we focus so much on what I don't like about you that we can't get into that place. So one of the best things you can do is to make sure you're actually praying for them. Pray for your siblings. Pray for your parents, for your kids, for your um, kids-in-law. I don't know how you say that. Thank you, uh, those of you that have them. And so when you're praying, here's some things that you can do. Ask God, how do you see this person? Some of the hardest relationships in my life, in fact, some that I've had to forgive the most, I've really put that 70 times 7 to good use, and um, one of the big defining moments for me in that relationship was when I asked the Lord, how do you see this person? That's what I want to focus on. I don't want to focus on all the things that are difficult and frustrating to me. I want to focus on how you see them. And the Lord began to show me giftings that were on them. They weren't being used, but God had given them to this person. And it was so empowering to me where now I could say, okay, Lord, this is what we're praying for. We're praying that you would have your way in their life. We're praying, Lord, I'm asking that for my brother, that you would do what you're doing in him. We bless that. I bless what you're doing in him. I give you, you know, I ask you to use me to help that process, right? We pray for them. Um, One of the things you can pray is, Lord, what are you doing in their life? Give me some insight. Because again, we want to partner with the Lord. Sometimes when we're praying, we, we, I said this earlier, but we lean into what I want to see happen. So the prayers that the Lord partners with are his will. Those are the ones that really go places, amen? So it's important for us to be asking, God, what are you doing? Um, And I want to say, too, before I talk about this next category, I have watched in my family, when I was a kid, I don't know why, I had this real passion to see my family all love Jesus, and I think it was a grace from the Lord. Um, But I grew up in a home, my dad wasn't a believer, he's Jewish, and, um, and my mom was a believer, but she wasn't really interacting with her faith at the time, and my brother really wasn't either. So I was pretty much the first person Um, at that stage of life to really be going after the Lord. And I remember being 15 years old and having this idea that I wanted my family to be a godly family. So even at 15, which sounds kind of crazy, I just, I devoted myself to prayer. When Grant and I met and we started dating, he jumped in and we just devoted ourselves to praying for my dad to come into the kingdom, praying for my brother to walk in his identity, you know, all of these things. And I'm standing here today having watched God do one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in the context of the home I grew up in. My dad got saved. My mom got lit up for the Lord, if you know her at all. Um, You know, she's... (laughs) She's in some crazy ministries. It's awesome with homeless people and things like that. My brother and his wife are serving the Lord faithfully, really walking in their calling. And I can sit back now and go 20-something years later, look at what you did, Lord. But the process was riddled with boundaries, a lot of boundaries in different seasons as God grew them. But for me, it became, I want to see them as heaven sees them, and that's the way I'm going to treat you. 
And I might need to set the boundaries that need to be set so that I don't step into the flesh. But ultimately, I'm going to see you step into your identity. And if he can do it for my family, I can tell you he can do it for yours. There's just, if you knew the story, it's just amazing what God has done. Um, the other way that we pray for them is prayers like binding and loosing prayers. So I shared extensively about this on our equipping night for spiritual warfare. So that's on the podcast. I'm not going to go that in depth. But Matthew 18, 18, Jesus tells us that what is bound on earth can be bound in heaven. So what are we doing? We're saying, I don't have to be subject to the ways of this world. The, the patterns of manipulation, the patterns of negativity, all that kind of stuff. So when we're praying for our family, I want to encourage you guys, if you've got prickly people coming to your Thanksgiving table, bind up what the enemy wants to do and watch what happens. And I don't say that audaciously. I say that from a decade of very amazing testimonies of watching. Because what am I doing when I do that? I'm deciding I'm not treating you according to your flesh. Because my battle is not with flesh and blood. My battle is with what's going on in Ephesians 6, what's going on in the air. So I'm binding up what's in the air so that I can get the best of you, so that you can have a moment where you get to bring your best self. Amen? So binding and loosing prayers. Um, second thing, and I just got two more. Ask them how you can pray. It's very simple. But begin to make it a spiritual conversation. The third thing, this is good. Speak kindly to them and about them. Your kids, your spouse, your siblings, your parents, Speak kindly to them and about them. This is really important. And then the last one, set healthy boundaries. Check with the Lord. What are their boundaries I need to set? Maybe there's not. Virtual high fives. But if there are, you are empowered to do that. So here's how we're going to end. We're going to take just a moment, and I want to ask you guys to ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, what's a lie I'm believing about my family and it might be a specific person. If there's somebody that's consistently coming to your mind while we've been talking, then just ask the Lord, what's a lie I've been believing about this person? Um, and then we're going to ask the Lord, what's his truth to replace that, okay? So we're going to take about 60 seconds or so to wait on the Lord. So Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to our hearts? What's a lie that we're believing, that I'm believing about my family? I encourage you to write down what you feel like he says. You can jot it in your notes on your phone or on the back of an envelope. Lord, what's a lie I'm believing about my family? And now, Holy Spirit, would you speak your truth? What's the truth I can replace that lie with? Thank you, Lord. So let's just take a second, just in your heart, just begin to pray. Pray for your family. Lord, we want our families to be patterned off of how you've created family to be. And so we just, again, afresh, invite you into our homes today. We invite you to teach us how to parent in this season. We invite you to teach us how to relate to our siblings in this season. God, we ask that you would lead us and grow us. And Lord, I'm praying over every person in here for any boundary that needs to be set, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them in such a tangible way. 
Lord, we're asking for this holiday season that you would let this be an amazing time of connecting and not receiving what the enemy wants to do, but being able to shift atmospheres and purpose ourselves to, to be like you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And so, Lord, I just pray, again, also for anybody that's had a negative family situation, Lord, we ask for reconciliation to come when you're ready. Lord, we would just release heaven over the ones that need to encounter your goodness. And Lord, we pray for patience in ourselves as we wait for people to adapt to you. And Lord, we do just ask for every person in our life that is not taking responsibility for their own lives, Lord, that you would show them how to do that. You would empower them to take control of their choices and their actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you guys for being here. If you need prayer for anything specific, please.